theology. Number five, the hellish torch. There are Seventh-day Adventist ministers today who are seriously recommending to God's remnant church that we accept and teach certain Calvinistic doctrines, such as are being promoted in the new theology beliefs. Some of these Adventist ministers are calling themselves Evangelical Adventists. We shall be amazed to discover that this is the hellish torch spoken of by inspiration in Testimonies to Ministers, page 409. Quote, Many will stand in our pulpits with the torch of false prophecy in their hands, kindled from the hellish torch of Satan." Unquote. The average Seventh-day Adventist member, and even Seventh-day Adventist ministers who are promoting these teachings, apparently know little of what Calvinistic theology is all about. Recently, a book was published by Lorraine Butner, a highly responsible Calvinistic theologian. The book was entitled, The Reformed Doctrine of Predestination, and is written in defense of Calvinism. Within its pages, we discover the hellish torch of Satan. I am indebted to Dr. Ralph Larson, who has granted me permission to use the quotations he has taken from this volume by Lorraine Botner, along with his personal observations. This will be the basis of this study. Be prepared for the surprise of your life, for you will be shocked, as I was, to discover that Calvinistic doctrine actually ascribes to our righteous and holy God the very attributes of Satan. Now, before we, we continue, let us ask God for heavenly guidance. O loving Father, please send the Holy Spirit to open our eyes that we may discern how Satan is bewitching so many in our day with a false doctrine that will lead them to believe that our most high God is not a God of love, but with a character devoid of love and mercy. Help us to clearly envision the devilish results of accepting this new theology. For we ask this in the name of thy dear Son, Jesus who came to reveal the true character of God, his Father, by his life of love and obedience here on earth. Amen. As we develop this study, it would be well to refresh our minds with the Holy Scripture, which reveal the character and the attributes of God. Notice the one word, that expresses the character of God. 1 John 4, 8. God is love. And here are some of the attributes of God. 
The Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in his works. Psalms 145.17 When Christ proclaimed God's name to Moses, how did the Lord define God's character? And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious and long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty. Exodus 34, 5 to 7. And what does the scripture say of the tender compassion of God? But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and in truth. Psalms 86:15. How great is God's love for this world? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John 3.16 And in what act especially has God's love been manifested? In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. 1 John 4.9 Oh, what a God we serve and obey! Praise his holy name! No wonder our hearts respond in love, for there is no God like him. But now in contrast, let us consider this hellish torch of which Ellen White writes, quote, Many will stand in our pulpits with the torch of false prophecy in their hands, kindled from the hellish torch of Satan. Testimonies to Ministers, page 409. Tell me, what could be more hellish than to ascribe to a righteous and holy God the very attributes of Satan? Nothing, of course. But now notice what Ellen White has to say of Satan's attempt to create rebellion and drive God from his throne. Quote, Satan's method of misrepresenting the character of God is to attribute to him his own characteristics. 1888 material, page 1062. Again, Satan has misrepresented the character of God. Our good and gracious Lord has been presented before the people clothed with the attributes of Satan. 1888 Materials, page 386. Now please, follow me very closely in this presentation. Who would dare to present God to the people in such a manner? Satan does not preach to the people personally. He has to use human agents. And who have these human agents been? The answer will become clear as crystal 
as we proceed. Quote, Satan has misrepresented the character of God. He has clothed him with his own attributes. He has represented him as being of inflexible sternness. Signs of the Times, April 15, 1889. Quote, The Creator has been presented to man's mind as clothed with the attributes of the Prince of Evil himself, as arbitrary, severe, and unforgiving, that he might be feared, shunned, and even hated of men. That's taken from In Heavenly Places, page 8. The cruelty inherent in Satan's own character is attributed to the Creator. It is embodied in systems of religion. Did you notice those words? It is embodied in systems of religion. That's taken from The Great Controversy, page 569. Quote, Satan has declared that God knew nothing of self-denial, of mercy, of love, but that he was stern, exacting, and unforgiving. Review and Herald, 3-9-1897. Quote, By the same misrepresentation of the character of God as he had practiced in heaven, causing him to be regarded as severe, tyrannical, Satan induced men to sin. The Great Controversy, page 500. Now, what have we learned from inspiration? That Satan has represented God as a satanic God who is arbitrary. That means for no reason other than one's own will. That he is cruel, exacting, stern, severe, tyrannical, unforgiving, without self-denial, mercy, or love. And all of these characteristics are the attributes of Satan himself. But remember, these are only accusations. How could Satan prove them? What evidence could he set forth in support of these accusations against God? Again, we ask you to be patient, for this question will be clearly answered before we are through. But first, we must recognize that some have already accepted as true these accusations against God because these horrible teachings are described as having been embodied in systems of religion. Could there actually be churches that have accepted such as the gospel of Satan's accusations against God, that he is arbitrary, cruel, unforgiving, tyrannical, and so on? Please keep these words in mind as we go on to the evidence which is found in the statements from this Calvinistic theologian. And from here on, these quotations taken from the book by Lorraine Botner will be authenticated as the letter B 
for Botner, followed by the page number. First of all, we discover that the satanic god of Calvinism is responsible for all things that happen in this world because God makes them happen. Notice these quotations, quote, God did from eternity ordain whatsoever comes to pass, B13. To ordain something means to order it. This is not at all the same as to permit. That which is ordained is ordered and established as an act of one's will. Notice the all-inclusive language as we continue. Quote, Nothing can come to pass contrary to what he expressly decrees. B14. Quote, God has an eternal plan in which is predetermined every event that comes to pass. B23. All things without exception, indeed, are disposed by him. B31. Now you are probably already gasping and thinking, surely this means only good things. But this is not the case, for it includes bad things as well. Quote, He gives peace and fruitful seasons, prosperity, and happiness, or he sends the desolation of war, famine, drought, and pestilence. B37. Is this staggering? It should be. The satanic god of Calvinism orders, ordains, foreordains, decrees, expressly decrees, and predetermines everything that happens, whether it be good or whether it be evil. It is not that he permits or allows them. They happen because he wants them to happen, and he makes them happen. And what has he wanted to happen? Everything that takes place. For instance, Satan's rebellion in heaven, all of the wars that have brought death to hundreds of millions, all of the religious persecutions with their torture of innocent people, all of the floods, all of the earthquakes, all of the hurricanes and typhoons, all of the famines, the slaughter of several million Jews in Europe, all of the world's false religions, all of the human sacrifices of paganism, all of the vices in all of the world, all of the crime in all of the world. He wanted them all to happen, and he ordered them all to happen. The terrible events that I have just mentioned are not just words. They are unspeakably gruesome experiences, such as people being herded into a deep trench, machine-gunned, and then buried by a bulldozer, people standing in line to be hanged and then burned in a gas oven, people being stretched on the rack, 
burned at the stake, fed to wild animals in the Roman arena, and so on. And as we think about these horrifying things, we must remember that according to the Calvinistic doctrines that we have just read, each individual incident of torture was ordained and decreed by the satanic god of Calvinism. Does this mean that every individual robbery, every kidnapping, every murder, every rape, every fraud, every deception, every lie, every broken promise, every ruined marriage, each was individually caused to happen by the satanic god of Calvinism? That is precisely what it means. And I am not overstating the case. I continue to quote from Botner's book, quote, God is seen as the great and mighty king who directs the course of history even down to its minutest details, B13. Quote, history in all of its details, even the most minute, is but the unfolding of the eternal purposes of God, B25. Quote, God's providential control extends to all events, even the most minute, B21. Quote, Nothing, however small, however strange, occurs without his ordering, B23. Quote, All his wise providence hath before appointed what bough the sparrow shall perch upon, what grain it shall pick up, where it shall lodge, where it shall build, on what it shall live, and where it shall die. B37. So you see, friend, this Calvinistic God orders, directs, purposes, and controls every human action, whether it be good or whether it be evil. He does not just permit these things to happen, he makes them happen. Human beings perform incredibly cruel, evil, vile actions because this God wants them to and orders them to. They have no choice. They must do what he ordains, commands, and controls. We have been reading thus far about human actions but the picture of the Calvinistic God is not yet complete, for his will controls the inner being as well as the outer being. For Calvinism teaches that their God controls all of our thoughts, feelings, and impulses. I quote, Not only the works we do outwardly, but even the thoughts we think inwardly. There is no such thing as chance or fortune. B15. Quote, God is the sovereign ruler who governs even the intimate thoughts 
and feelings and impulses of men. B342. Quote, it is he that creates the very thoughts and intents of the soul. B31. And this includes even sinful thoughts and sinful actions. Listen carefully. Quote, even the fall of Adam and through him the fall of the race was not by chance or accident but was so ordained in the secret counsels of God. B. 234. Quote, Even the sinful acts of men are included in his plan. B. 24. Quote, He who perfectly controls all the depraved and impious affections of the wicked and turns them as he pleases. B. 230. Quote, when we get the larger view, we see that even the sinful acts of men have their place in the divine plan. B. 239. Quote, All evil forces are under his absolute control. B. 239. This is why Calvinism believers teach, quote, the murderer is kept in life and is indebted to God for the strength to kill his victim and also for the opportunity. B. 239. Thus you can see there is no escape from the hideous reality that these statements place before us. For the God of Calvinism is the God of sin. He is a satanic God who causes, creates, and perfectly controls every thought, every feeling, every impulse, and every action of every man and woman, even including the most sinful, degenerate, depraved, and degraded. Do you worship the God of Calvinism? I do not. According to this theology, or this demonology, if you prefer, you may have thought that you decided what church you would attend this morning, but you didn't. The Calvinistic God decided that for you by creating the thoughts and impulses of your mind. And while he was making that decision for you, he was also placing in the drunkard's mind the impulse to seek more strong drink. He was putting into the dope peddler's mind the impulse to seek more victims for his drugs. He was putting into the murderer's mind the impulse to kill again. He was guiding the murderer in the choice of a victim and the choice of the weapons and was providing him the opportunity to strike because God wanted it to happen. It was part of his decree, part of his plan. Now I pause here to set forth a spin-off from this horrible doctrine. 
that was presented by Dr. Edward Heppenstall at a class for ministers conducted at the Southeastern California Conference Office in December of 1962. He provided copies of his notes to the ministers, in which we find on page 3 the following, quote, It is by the wisdom, not by the impotence of God, that no believer is ever perfect here below. The Lord so conducts the saints in this life that there should always remain something to be either freely given them when they ask or to pardon them mercifully when they confess to him. Now that sounds unbelievable, coming from a professor of Andrews University. Consider the meaning of those words, quote, The Lord so conducts our lives that there will always be something to forgive us for. And we are never perfect here below because he is too wise to let us be perfect. Therefore, we sin because he wants us to sin. Where do these ideas come from? From the satanic god of Calvinism. But we haven't seen the entire picture yet. It gets much, much worse as we proceed. Now let's look at the satanic god and the non-elect. According to Calvinistic theology, the satanic god decided before the world was created that some persons would never be permitted to repent and be saved. These are called the non-elect. We have seen in the previous sections that the satanic god makes these persons sin. They have no choice in the matter. We will now see that the satanic god sternly judges and condemns them for the very sins that he has made them commit. Quote, Eternal life is foreordained for some and eternal death for others. B-15. Quote, It was foreordained who should be condemned. B-15. Quote, By the decree of God for the manifestation of his glory, some men and angels are predestinated to everlasting life, and others are foreordained to everlasting death. B84. Quote, In matters pertaining to his salvation, the unregenerated man is not at liberty to choose between good and evil. B62. Quote, We believe that from all eternity, God has intended to leave some of Adam's posterity in their sins. B104. So, friend, you can see that Calvinism's satanic God predestines the non-elect to be lost, giving them no choice. Furthermore, he creates their sinful thoughts 
and sinful actions, giving them no freedom. Then he judges and condemns them for the sin that he has forced them to commit, permitting them no repentance, and then punishes them for the sin that he has forced them to commit. What a devilish doctrine! And what of the punishment? This is our next evidence, our next unit of thought. Calvinism's satanic God tortures the non-elect forever. Quote, The final torment of the wicked are indescribably awful. In the next world, the wicked, with all restraint removed, will go headlong into sin, blaspheming and cursing God, growing worse and worse as they sink deeper and deeper into the bottomless pit. B-79. Now remember that they curse and blaspheme because the satanic God makes them do it. They have no freedom and no choice. Even the Calvinists admit the awfulness doctrine. Quote, it is hard for us to realize that many of those right around us, in some cases, our close friends and relatives, are probably foreordained to eternal punishment. B-125. Quote, the condemnation of the non-elect is designed primarily to furnish an eternal exhibition before men and angels of God's hatred of sin, or in other words, it is to be an eternal manifestation of the justice of God. B-121. Now, we must remember that the decree of the satanic Calvinistic God made before the world began was that some would be foreordained to eternal torture. This would include persons of all ages, from infancy to maturity. Their torturing will never cease, but will go on forever and forever and forever. Now is not this the hellish torch of Satan? Reading these statements makes us feel as if we were taking a guided tour through the bottomless pit. If this is not clothing God with the attributes of Satan, what could fulfill these words? Can anything worse be imagined than a God who deliberately creates human beings for no other purpose than to supply his torture chamber with victims? and who keeps these agonizing victims alive so that the torturing may go on forever? But this is not the end yet. Let us pause to remember that according to the Calvinistic doctrine of unconditional election, those who are saved have absolutely nothing to do with their salvation. They are saved because they were predestined to be saved, and nothing that they could do or that anyone else could do would have any bearing on their salvation in any way whatsoever. 
This is the meaning of the term unconditional. Are you beginning to understand the terminology of the new theology in using the term unconditional? When they speak of unconditional love, then why did Christ die? Why did Christ endure the agonies of a slow and torturous death? According to Calvinistic theology, his death had nothing to do with anyone's salvation that had been decided before the world was created by the decree of predestination. The Calvinists may answer that God planned it that way as part of the plan of salvation, but this is no answer, for there was no need for such a plan to be made. It is just another ludicrous self-contradiction. Their Calvinistic God may have planned for his son to be tortured and die, but according to their own reasoning, this had nothing to do with anyone's salvation. We repeat, the salvation of the elect had been settled by the decree of predestination before the world was created. The death of Christ on the cross could neither add anything to that decree or take anything away from it. This is the meaning of unconditional love. Therefore, we are confined to this conclusion, that the satanic god of Calvinism slaughtered his own son for the same reason that he tortures the non-elect throughout all eternity simply because he is a fiend, a monster, who delights in such torture. We draw back in horror from such a conclusion, but we cannot escape it. We have just seen an abundance of statements that the satanic god of Calvinism decided before the world began who would be saved, and that every act, thought, and feeling of every human being is directed by the satanic God, even the including their sins. Why, then, did men spit in the face of Christ? Because they were so directed by the Calvinism satanic God. They had no choice. Why did they put a crown of thorns upon his brow? Why did they flog him? Why did they nail him to a cross? Let the Calvinistic theologian answer, quote, The murderer is kept in life and is indebted to God for the strength to kill his victim and also for the opportunity. B. 239 This is Calvinism. This is the hellish torch of Satan. This is not theology, it is demonology. This is one of the systems of religion that Ellen White made reference to when she wrote that Satan had clothed God with his own attributes, that this was embodied in the system of religion. It is beyond question embodied in Calvinistic system of religion. Now, 
we must consider the very centerpiece of Satan's accusations. In order to convince the universe that God is not a God of love, but is actually arbitrary, cruel, exacting, stern, severe, tyrannical, and unforgiving, a God who knows nothing about self-denial, mercy, or love, Satan needed to present some evidence in support of these charges. The universe had never seen any such fault in the character of God. The very opposite was true in regard to every point of accusation, even including forgiveness. For Satan himself had been offered forgiveness, as the universe well knew. Unless Satan could produce some evidence to support his accusations, they would be summarily dismissed as manifestly ridiculous, having no substance of reality at all. Satan desperately needed some evidence, some ground of accusation. What could it be? What could he do? At last, he thought of something that would become the centerpiece of his accusations against the character of God. I'm going to let Ellen White describe it to us and notice how Satan's accusations against God are clustered about the centerpiece that God had given a law that his subjects could not obey. Here is the evidence Satan had proclaimed and notice Ellen White's response, quote, Since the fall of Adam, men in every age have excused themselves for sinning, charging God with their sin, saying that they could not keep the commandments. This is the insinuation Satan cast at God in heaven. Review and Arrow, Book 4, page 303. Notice the accusation, and then notice the evidence, and charging God with their sin. This would make God the author of sin. Does it sound like the statements we have been reading from Calvinistic theologians, and even from a Seventh-day Adventist theologian? Quote, Satan represented God's law as a law of selfishness. He declared that it is impossible for us to obey its precepts. Desire of Ages, page 24. Again, notice the accusation, and then notice the evidence. Quote, Satan has clothed the character of God with attributes that are satanic. He has pictured him as being full of revenge, a lawgiver whose law is beyond the power of man to keep. Review and Herald Book 2, page 464. And yet again, notice the accusation and then notice the evidence. Quote, Satan had represented God to man as arbitrary, stern, unforgiving, all the misery and suffering he had brought upon man, 
he charged to God. He declared that man could not keep the law and that God was arbitrary and cruel in demanding of him something that he could not do. The Youth Instructor, book, page 446. Once more, notice the accusation and then notice the evidence. Quote, Satan declared that it was impossible for the sons and daughters of Adam to keep the law of God and thus charged upon God a lack of wisdom and love. If they could not keep the law, then there was fault with the lawgiver. Men who are under the control of Satan repeat these accusations against God in asserting that men cannot keep the law of God. Signs of the Times, book number 3, 264. Finally, in conclusion, notice the accusation. Then notice the evidence. Consider the total list of Satan's accusations against the character of God. God's character is alleged to be faulty, lacking in love, cruel, lacking in wisdom, selfish, stern, unforgiving, arbitrary, and satanic. Now you can see the evidence that Satan put forth in support of every one of these accusations, and it does not vary. It stays the same in every case. Note, God has given a law that his subjects cannot obey. Therefore, God is cruel. God has given a law that his subjects cannot obey. Therefore, God is selfish. God has given a law that his subjects cannot obey. Therefore, God is stern. God has given a law that his subjects cannot obey. Therefore, God is severe. God has given a law that his subjects cannot obey. Therefore, God is arbitrary. God has given a law that his subjects cannot obey. Therefore, God is unforgiving. God has given a law that his subjects cannot obey. Therefore, God is satanic. God has given a law that his subjects cannot obey. Therefore, his character is faulty. God has given a law that his subjects cannot obey. Therefore, he is lacking in wisdom. God has given a law that his subjects cannot obey. Therefore, he is lacking in love. This is beyond question the centerpiece of Satan's false accusations against God. And this accusation is being echoed by many who stand in Seventh-day Adventist pulpits today preaching the new theology that we cannot stop sinning until Jesus comes. Ellen White foretold it with unerring accuracy. Many will stand in our pulpits with the torch of false prophecy in their hands kindled from the hellish torch of Satan. Testimonies to Ministers 409. Quote, Men who are under the control of Satan. 
repeat these accusations against God in asserting that men cannot keep the law of God. Signs of the Times, book number 3, 264. Now we have a simple and accurate means of recognizing and identifying the men who are described by God's chosen messenger as standing in our pulpits, having their torches kindled from the hellish torch of Satan. It is sobering indeed to remember Ellen White's testimony that there would be not a few, but many. And their identifying characteristic will be that they are uniting with the Calvinistic theologians and with Satan himself in declaring that God is selfish, arbitrary, and cruel because he gave us a law that we cannot obey. Bit by bit, they have accepted the doctrine of Calvinism, and bit by bit, they have come to be under Satan's control. Men may claim that they can say it is impossible to obey God's law without accusing God, but Ellen White says, no, no you can't. Read her solemn warning again. If they could not keep the law, I'm quoting, then there was fault with the lawgiver. Signs of the Times 1, 16, 1896. And it would thus be proven that Satan's accusations against God were true. If men have not clearly understood this, Satan has. He has reaffirmed the accusations again and again. For example, in the beginning, in heaven, quote, in the opening of the great controversy, Satan had declared that the law of God could not be obeyed, Desire of Ages 761. In Adam's time, quote, Satan had pointed to Adam's sin as proof that God's law was unjust and could not be obeyed, Desire of Ages, page 117. In Enoch's time, Satan was urging upon men the belief that it was impossible for men to obey the divine statutes. Patriarchs and Prophets, page 89. In the time of Christ, quote, Satan hoped to establish the claim put forth when he rebelled in heaven that the requirements of God were unjust and could not be obeyed. Even Israel, he declared, did not keep the law. Desire of Ages 29. And in our time, quote, Satan represents God's law of love as a law of selfishness. He declares that it is impossible for us to obey its precepts. Desire of Ages 24. And this is why we are hearing from our pulpits and in some of our books that we will sin till Jesus comes. But praise God for all time. Quote, the Savior's life of obedience maintained the claims of the law. It proved that the law could be kept in humanity. 
and showed the excellency of character that obedience would develop. All who obey as he did likewise declare that the law is holy, just, and good. On the other hand, all who break God's commandments are sustaining Satan's claim that the law is unjust and cannot be obeyed. Thus they second the deceptions of the great adversary and cast dishonor on God. They are the children of the wicked one who was the first to rebel against God's law. Desire of Ages 309. Did you notice those words, quote, the children of the wicked one, unquote? Why then should we be surprised at these words, quote, men who are under the control of Satan repeat these accusations against God in asserting that men cannot keep the law of God? Signs of the Times 1, 16, 18, 96. So, how shall we relate to the ministers among us who are throwing Satan's accusations at God? By all means, show enough Christian love for their souls to speak to them and warn them, and if possible, place a copy of this tape in their hands. We must remember that some of our younger ministers have been taught Calvinism in the academy, in college, and at the theological seminary. We trust that our righteous God will keep this in mind as he deals with them, for there is mercy with the Lord. Let us resolve that we will have nothing to do with the satanic God of Calvinism or with any of his false teachings. Let us leave this satanic monster God in the bottomless pit where he belongs and renew our loyalty to the holy and righteous God of Adventism. Let us not expose ourselves to the deadly error of those who are falsely accusing God. Satan's accusation that God has given a law that his subjects cannot obey is now being taught as truth at our theological seminary in our colleges, and in many of our churches throughout the land. This is astonishing, and the method by which this was brought about are even more astonishing. They remind us of a text, quote, They received not the love of the truth, that they might be saved, and notice these words, And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie. Second Thessalonians 2.11 From this scripture, we learn that there is a particular manner of madness that begins with having no love for the truth and ends with an inability to distinguish truth from error. It seems that a dislike for the truth can cause God to withdraw his protection. And then Satan moves in upon the mind with all of his power, bringing serious mental derangement. 
Consider this evidence taken from Review and Herald 6, 3, 1902. Quote, Light rejected becomes to the rejecter darkness blacker than the darkness of midnight. It must have been this principle that caused Isaiah to write, quote, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness. Isaiah 5, 20. So now you have abundant evidence to know that whenever you hear or read that the people of God will sin until Jesus comes the second time, that such a belief comes from the false doctrine of Calvinism that teaches you can sin because God gave a law that cannot be obeyed. And when you hear or read the words, unconditional love, that are not found in the Holy Scripture or the spirit of prophecy, you will recognize immediately that this is a Calvinistic false belief, for Calvinism teaches that we are all predestined to either eternal life or eternal torment, regardless of what we do or how we live. Therefore, God's love is unconditional. May we never accept such false beliefs from the hellish torch of Satan. God's truth will ultimately triumph and triumph gloriously. We must triumph with it. Therefore, let us by God's grace keep the faith. Let us pray. Loving Father, may we never forget that God's law can be kept as we surrender to thy divine keeping power and that thy divine love is available to all sinners on condition that they repent and obey. And now, Sonny Lou will sing The Love of God, which was a favorite of Joe Cruz, which he often sang when we worked together in evangelism. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to
the skies of parchment made Were every thought on earth a quill And every man a scribe by trade Would drain the old.